Welcome to Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. Sharon has a passion for Scripture that will motivate and challenge you to immerse yourself in God's Word and apply His message to your everyday life. Visit SeekingTruth.net to learn more about bringing Seeking Truth to your parish or to become an online learner. Today it's part one of the Gospel of John, chapter 21. And now, Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. Hi, everybody. This is our final lecture for the Gospel of John. We are studying John 21 tonight, and I titled it, Do You Love Me? And Jesus asked Peter this tonight, but he's asking you also, and he's asking me, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Hmm. Okay, so here we go. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. Now, we've never heard it called that before, the Sea of Tiberias. John is the only author that uses that title. In the Old Testament, this sea was called Chinaroth because that means harp-shaped. It looks like a harp, and they used to call it like Chinaroth. And the Sea of Galilee is up there north, and Jerusalem is 60 miles So they would have had to walk after the resurrection 60 miles up to the Sea of Galilee. And in the New Testament, the synoptics always call it the Sea of Galilee or Lake Genesaret because the valley around there is called the Genesaret Valley. But John's the only one who calls it the Sea of Tiberias, and he does it three times. And we know three is that perfect number of the Trinity. It's a perfect number in Scripture, twice in chapter 6 and once in chapter 21. But what this helps us do is know an accurate dating of John's gospel. He is the final one to write. Because Luke tells us that Emperor Tiberius was ruling when John the Baptist and Jesus came into their priesthood at age 30. It's in Luke chapter 3 that Tiberius was the Roman Caesar. And Herod Antipas, Herod's son, Herod the great son Antipas, around 20 AD put an administrative capital on the southwest shore of the Sea of Galilee. And he dedicated that new city to the Roman emperor named Tiberius. So Tiberius is the town and they renamed the lake, lake, the Sea of Tiberius. So this is a late dating. John wrote later, Matthew, Mark, and Luke call it the Sea of Galilee. John will call it the Sea of Tiberius. And John is writing to a Roman Greco- audience in Asia Minor. So he uses it three times, and each of the times he's talking about the Sea of Tiberias, he's talking about eating something, and it's bread. Okay, so remember that. The first time in 6, John 6, he fed the crowd with five loaves and two fish, and it was a huge crowd, 5,000 hungry men, and then all the wives and children that weren't counted, and we have these five little loaves of bread, and it is a miraculous, supernatural feeding, and it met their physical hunger. But he's foreshadowing something, an endless bread that will never run out, that will feed our spiritual hunger. And he promises that day that he is the bread that's come down from heaven, and that his very blood and body will feed us one day. And they don't quite know what he's talking about. Some of them leave that day. They say, this guy's, we don't get this. So today they're on that same Sea of Tiberias and he's going to feed seven apostles and he's going to feed them bread again and fish again. And after they eat the bread, Jesus will command Peter to feed Peter, the fisherman, to feed both lambs and sheep. 
What is this about? Well, there is one bread. There's unity in this one bread that all are going to be fed, and that bread is himself. It's the Holy Eucharist. It's our supernatural spiritual food. If we eat it, we'll live how long? Forever. Okay, and so we're going to have a renewal of faith here on the Sea of Tiberias near a charcoal fire, and a charcoal fire is only talked about twice in the New Testament, both in John's Gospel, chapter 18, and tonight in 21. So we'll talk about that too, and it's called the reinstatement of St. Peter, because you know what happened at the first charcoal fire, three denials, and at the second charcoal fire, three reinstatements or three chances for him to affirm his love for Jesus. So after these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he showed himself in this way. Gathered here were Simon Peter, Thomas, called twin, Nathaniel of Cana of Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, James and John. Now, did you notice five were named? Every number is going to matter. Every detail is going to matter of this story tonight. Five of the disciples there are named. And two of his other disciples are not named. Two are unnamed. So five and two. There are seven there. Five are named. Two are unnamed. And seven. Seven is that perfection number of a new covenant. And we'll talk about five and two in just a minute. The total is seven. He's doing something new. This bread that he's feeding them today in his risen form is new. This is the same location, the Sea of Tiberias, where five loaves and two fish were taken. If we add that together, it's seven also. But the five loaves is Torah, five, the law. The two fish are Jews and Gentiles, are both going to be invited into this new covenant, number seven. So both Jews and Gentiles, both fish are going to be caught and fed this new bread that will unite everybody, and then they will be released to do what? To also go and and catch fish and bring them into this boat, into this new bread. Simon Peter says, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we'll go with you. What's he doing? He's returning to his old way of life. He's returning to what he knew, what he did before he met this guy who he's been following all over for three years. Where is he now? He appeared to him on Easter Sunday. He appeared the next week. Now where is he? Where where is he? what What is going on? I used to be a fisherman. I was good at it. I had a profession. We had two boats. What should I do? I'm, I'm going fishing. He doesn't know what to do. So once you've met the Lord... How do you return back to your old life? You know, if you had a really powerful time in your life when you met the Lord, everything changed. Now what do you do? Now you just got to go back to work on Monday? Really? You got to go back to that? Really? Have you ever experienced that? Was Peter going to abandon this three-year path he had been on with Jesus and just return back to his old way of life? Are they waiting for another appearance? Maybe he'll show up again today. Do you think this will be the day? Do you think we'll get to see him again today? Because they'd sure like another consolation. Because can you imagine what that must have been like when he would appear to him? And they'd be like, oh, it's him. It's the risen Lord. Oh my gosh, what a consolation. And in your own prayer life, when you have a day of really good prayer and maybe something really beautiful happened and you had a consolation from the Lord and then you go for days and weeks and months and nothing and it's dry and what? When's he coming back? When, when will I know him again? Maybe they're waiting for instructions. What are we supposed to do now? What are we going to, what are we, what, now what? And remember, it wasn't Pentecost yet. 
They had had a little private Pentecost, not a full outpouring because he hadn't ascended back to the right hand of the Father yet. The job's not totally done yet. He hasn't sat down yet on the mercy seat. But they got a breath of the Holy Spirit. He said, peace be with you. And he gave a command to them. He said, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. So they know he never lies. They know they're going to be sent. They just don't know what they're going to do and when they're going to be sent and what's going to happen. So they went back to what was comfortable. They went out, they got into the boat, and that night, how'd it go for them? They caught nothing. Because they're not waiting on the Lord. They're going out on their own strength. We don't know what to do. Let's go do this. Have you ever done that? Not wait on the Lord? That is such an important lesson I have learned in my life. We got to wait on the Lord and wait for him. If we go out and do something on our own without him, we can do nothing. It doesn't work real well. So they caught nothing that night. It was not uncommon to go fishing at night. That's still common on the Sea of Tiberias today. The fish can put off a phosphorus glow that attracts algae to the surface of the water. It's a good time to fish. So they often fish at night. And also the fish would be much fresher for the morning sail. But that night they caught nothing. And there is another time in scripture when they caught nothing. And it's almost a perfect parallel to this story. And you have to look at it when you study this chapter of John. You have to look at Luke 5. It is the initial call of the apostles to follow Christ. And here's how it goes. Once while Jesus was standing beside the lake of Genesaret, and the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God. He is the word of God. They want to listen to him. He saw two boats there at the shore on the lake. The fishermen had gone out of them and they were washing their nets. Fishermen do that every night. After a night of fishing, they take good care of those nets. It's their livelihood. Jesus got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon. He asked him to put a little way out from the shore. They had never met him before. This was all new. He sat down and he taught the crowds from Peter's boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. In the middle of the day? What? They they don't bite at this time of day, sir. I'm a professional fisherman. (laughs) Simon answered, Master, we've worked all night long, but we have caught nothing. Yet, if you say so, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they caught so many fish that their nets were beginning to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. Now, you guys, we're all disciples, and he's signaling us. Hey, hey, we caught so many fish. You know, the one the, the ones you're going to bring to class next year. All those fish, all those fish, they're signaling you. Hey, I can't hold these all in. It's, it's a mother load. They came and filled both boats. And the boats began to sink. Wow. So we got two boats, tearing nets, and boats in danger of sinking. The weight of so many fish. And when Simon Peter saw this, he fell down at Jesus' knees. He knew it was supernatural. He knew this was a miracle. He knows fish don't bite at this time of day. And he said, go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. Isn't that an interesting response? Go away from me, Lord. Oh, man, you're really something. You're really, you're God. I'm not, I'm afraid. I'm I'm sinner. Go away. You don't want me. But he did want him. Because God can write straight with crooked lines. He was a sinful man, as we saw in John 18. He was a sinner, all right. He lied three times flat out about Jesus. I don't know him. I don't know him. I don't even know the man. I don't know him. Liar. 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 Back to Luke. For he and all who were with him were amazed at the catch of fish that they had taken. Also, there were James and John, the sons of Zebedee. They were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. 
As he says 365 times in the Bible, do not be afraid. <laughs> From now on, Simon, you're going to be catching people. People. People? People. See them all out there? They're floundering. This is our world. This is our world. People are drowning, you guys. This culture is suffocating people. They're going down. It's a culture of death. This is the gospel of life. Cast your nets. Don't be afraid. You're going to be fishing for people. Have you caught any people lately for the Lord? Anybody in here? Have you caught anyone today? Last week? The week before? Anyone? Praise the Lord! Hallelujah. When they had brought their boats to the shore, they left everything and they followed him. Now, have any of you left everything? Everything, 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 everything. I don't see any hands up. Neither have I. We haven't left everything to follow him. Back to John 21, they said to him, Peter, we'll go with you. We'll go fishing with you. Now they went out, they got into their boat, but guess what? They went before the Lord and that night they caught nothing. They can't catch fish on their own. They can't catch people on their own. We can't catch people on their own. We want our kids to come. We want our, our husband to come. We can't do it on our own. It's not us. It's the Holy Spirit working through us. It's not us. And without him, we can do nothing. We can't catch people on our own. It's never on our own strength. It's on the fruits of the Holy Spirit alive in you. It's your joy. Your joy is a magnet. They're like, what's she got? Why is she so happy? All the time? Why is he so, he, he loves the Lord. I can tell. It's weird. It's cool. I, I kind of like it, but I, it, I, I don't know if I'd want to give up all that to follow him. Those who abide in me and I in them, we got to abide on the vine, remember, because that's the ones who are bearing fruit. And those fruits are the fruits of the Holy Spirit, because apart from Jesus Christ, we can do nothing, nothing. So just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach and the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. They're out there a ways. They don't know it's him. And Jesus said to them, children, children. You grown men out here, do you like to be called children? Hi, kiddos. Hi, buddy. <laughs> He's never called them that in John's gospel, ever. Children, you have no fish, have you? So grown men, I don't know how they feel about being called children, but in the literal translation of the Greek, paideia, it's more like boys or lads. Jesus loved children. Okay, it's not that. He loved children. Let the little children come unto me and do not hold them back for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. He loved children. It's not that. There's one thing that children are lacking. One thing. You know what it is? Age. <laughs> They're children. You know what comes with age, especially for the godly? Wisdom. That's why you want to sit at grandma's table and have a cup of tea with her because she has a lot of wisdom sage wisdom. They don't have it yet in the spiritual life. They haven't been blasted with the Holy Spirit yet. That's the fruit of the Holy Spirit, wisdom, counsel, right judgment, joy. So Jesus loved children, but they don't have wisdom yet. And he says, children, you have no fish. And they say, no, we don't. And he says, cast to the right, cast your net to the right side of the boat and you will find some to the right. Now the right side is always 
the right side. Cast to the right. The right side is the right in the Bible. Because Jacob, when he blesses Joseph's boys, Ephraim and Manasseh, the right hand is the blessing hand of the father. The right side. And when he talks about the judgment of the nation, sheep go to the right, goats to the left. Sheep, eternal life. Goats, eternal damnation. Go to the right. And Jesus sits forever at the right hand of the Father. Go to the right. So he says, cast your nets out again to the right. And this time, you'll find some. You'll find some fish. Now, this must have just been deja vu. Didn't we do this when he called us? This was just like that, that day in Luke 11 to remember. Who is this guy? He said, cast the net to the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish. And guess what? John noticed something right then and there. John, the beloved disciple, the one he loved, cried out and said to Peter, it is the Lord. John knew. When he saw that empty tomb, he has eyes of faith. John said, he's risen. He was the first one. He just saw the empty tomb. He said, he's risen. He said, this is the Lord. Some scholars say John knew that because he was the youngest and he had the best eyesight. (laughs) I don't think so. John knew it was the Lord. Only with his help were they able to catch something. On their own, they didn't get anything. Now their nets are loaded because apart from him, we can do nothing. And John knows it, and he sees with eyes of faith, and he says, it's the Lord. Now, Simon, when he heard that it was the Lord, he put some clothes on because he was naked, and he jumped into the sea. Isn't that funny? (laughs) That's impetuous Peter. And fishermen in Galilee at that time fish naked a lot or with a small loincloth. They do not need their robes and garments getting caught into the nets as they're casted out. That would pull them over the boat, and they'd drown. So they often fish naked. So he's fishing naked. He puts on his clothes to jump in the water. (laughs) And that's a painting by Tassad, and I love it. Impetuous Peter, right? But the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish. And they weren't far from land, only about 100 yards off. And when they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread. Fish and bread again. Fish and bread at the Sea of Tiberias again. Lots and lots and lots of fish. And they could only catch those fish with the help of Jesus Christ. And there was a net that did not break this time. Back in Luke 11, it tore. This net doesn't break, and it's loaded. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard, and he hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. Did you find that an odd number? 153 fish. They counted every single one, and there was 153. Three years they had followed him. Three years they'd given up everything. Three years they'd left their families. They'd laid down their lives. But now what? Now what's the plan? And back in Luke 5, Jesus has said to Simon, do not be afraid because from now on you're going to be catching people. Now, back then, that net was tearing. It was full of fish and ripping. The fish are symbolic of people to be caught. And now there were so many, and that net is not torn. So despite the great number of large fish, the net is not tearing. Something's up with that. Back in John 6, at the same location, we saw that Jesus multiplied five loaves and two fish and fed 5,000. That was kind of a partial act of creation out of nothing. I mean, he had five loaves, but he feeds all those people. He creates bread. 
But now, this risen Jesus, he had been crucified, risen, glorified, and now he's going to give us Eucharistic body. They could have the unity of this bread to eat. This is something new that he's doing. This is number seven. Five plus two is seven. Five loaves, two fish equals seven, a new covenant. The five loaves are Torah. The two fish are this new covenant is for all the Jews and for all the Gentiles. And that adds up to seven. And Jesus is the perfect seven. God the Father rested on the seventh day. He sat down and he rested because his work was done. Jesus had done the work of salvation. He can sit down now at the Father's right hand. The work is done. It's a new covenant. It's for Jews and Gentiles. With the law of Torah, that will always be our moral law. But it's for all Jews and all Gentiles and every person who ever lives. He says, I am the bread of life. It's this bread that he wants to feed us and unite all of us into his net. Now he feeds Peter himself and he asks Peter to feed others with his help. And it's not going to be a type of physical bread. It is, but it's going to be a spiritual bread that we need to live that's healing for all the nations. The leaves of the tree of life are for the healing of all the nations. It's a new bread. It's himself. It's Jesus Christ. In this chapter, we had five named disciples and two unnamed disciples. They will come together in a completion of this new covenant. Five are Jewish. They're named Peter, James, John, Nathaniel, and Thomas. Two are unnamed. They can be either Jews or Gentiles because they're us. We're his new disciples in this new covenant. We're fishermen also, and we're fishing for people also. It's the reason the church exists in order to evangelize others. Otherwise, there's no reason for us to be here. We got to share the good news. This is our leader, Peter. He was the prince of the apostles. He's the one Jesus Christ chose by praying to the Father all night long. Peter is the vicar of Christ on earth. He's the leader of the band. He's the prince of the apostles. All those titles we went over. And it's Peter to whom Jesus Christ gave the keys of his kingdom. Matthew chapter 16. And he said, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And they have tried, but they have not taken down the Catholic Church. The forces of evil will not prevail against the church. Peter was the first to know that he was the Christ. He said, you are the Christ, the anointed one of God. And Jesus says, oh, Peter, flesh and blood didn't tell you that. My father told you that because the father had revealed it to him. So two fish. Jews and Gentiles. This is for everybody. All Abraham's children, Jews and Gentiles. And two apostles will be sent out to fish, big time, professional fishermen for people. Both will be reborn, one abnormally so. Paul says, I was one abnormally born. He wasn't one of the original 12, but God has a huge plan for him on that road to Damascus. Peter is going to catch Jewish fish, and Paul will catch Gentile fish. And what's going to draw the fish is bread. I don't want to say the bait is bread, but Jesus Christ is bread for these fish to eat. That's the unity. It's for everybody, this new covenant. And it's in a church. There's Peter giving Eucharist to St. Stephen before he's stoned to death, the first martyr. That's called viaticum. It's food for the journey. He'll be the first one killed, the first fisherman killed. In succession of Peter, an unbroken chain of vicars of Christ on earth. Benedict number 265, feed my lambs, the little lamb coming for the bread of life. Feed my sheep, 
like Peter, number 265, Benedict, number 266, Pope Francis, feed my lambs and sheep in succession of Peter. Now the Catholic Church is a great big boat. The first time they were sinking, because he hadn't done his work on the cross yet, now the boat's not sinking. The net's not torn. Get him into the boat. Get him into the boat. You want to keep your kids in the boat. You want to keep your loved ones in the boat, in the boat, in the boat. The boat is the church. Don't get out of the boat. You can be way on that end of the boat. You can be way on this end of the boat. Just stay in the boat. The boat is safe. The boat's a shelter in any storm. Stormy seas come in life. Stay in the boat. Don't go off on a little life raft with 48,000 other little life rafts. It's the church that's called the boat in Latin. It's the nave. And we even build our churches around that plan. A traditional church is built in the form of a cross, a cruciform cross. And the body of the church, Christ is the head, and the church is the body. The body of the church where most of the pews are is called the nave, which means boat in Latin. The church is a boat. The church is a boat. If you look at architectural plans of great churches, they're built like this, a cross, and the body's called the boat, the nave. Get in the boat. So both fishers of people, Jewish and Gentile, and both of these men will be martyred in Rome. They're imprisoned together in that last holding cell. You can step into it in Rome's maritime prison underneath by the Colosseum. Don't miss it. But both of these men will catch many, many fish for the Lord. They have a zeal for souls to preach the gospel. They're imprisoned together in Rome before Nero orders that Paul have his head sliced off because he's a Roman citizen. And Peter says, I can't die in that way. I can't die like my Lord did. They were going to crucify him. But listen what John told us tonight in 21. Very truly, I tell you, Peter, when you were younger, Jesus said this to Peter, you used to fasten your own belt. You used to go wherever you wish. But when you grow old, you're going to stretch out your hands and someone else is going to fasten and a belt around you and take you to where you do not want to go. And he said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And after he said this to Peter, he said, now follow me. That death was an inverted crucifixion. Peter said, I can't be crucified like Jesus was. Turn me upside down. And they did. They nailed him to a cross, turned it upside down. There's a beautiful Caravaggio. And there he was crucified upside down for our Lord Jesus Christ. He did follow him till the end. No more denying, total redemption, total giving of his entire self for the gospel. Now, Simon Peter tonight went aboard. He hauled the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. And there, there were so many fish, but the net was not torn. Now, what is with the 153? And we got some diggers in here and some people who love to dig. And I know that. The church fathers love to dig, and everyone says, go to the church fathers if you really want to know. Well, the church fathers had, we're all over the place on this. So I went to the church fathers, and they all had different stories. And there were five core numbers they were looking at, 150, 10, 7, 3, and they all have different things. The first one was Cyril of Jerusalem. He's the earliest. He said this is a combination of the fullness of the Gentiles, like 100 Gentiles, plus the remnant of the Jews, like half, 50, and then put the Trinity in there, and you got one, five, three. Okay, that was his explanation. St. Augustine of Hippo, a little later, the next one, he said, no, 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 I got it, I got it. He said, 153 is the triangular of 17, and if you add all the numbers decreasing from 17, the final result is 153. That was part one of the Gospel of John, chapter 21, on Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. To learn more about Seeking Truth Bible studies, visit seekingtruth.net. Tune in next time for more Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran.